treatise one of on friendship and on old age by marcus tullius cicero this LibriVox recording is in the public domain treatise one on friendship part two fourteen let me repeat then the clear indication of virtue to which a mind of like character is naturally attracted is the beginning of friendship when that is the case the rise of affection is a necessity for what can be more irrational than to take delight in many objects incapable of response such as office fame splendid buildings and personal decoration and yet to take little or none in a sentient being endowed with virtue which has the faculty of loving or if i may use the expression loving back for nothing is really more delightful than a return of affection and the mutual interchange of kind feelings and good offices and if we add as we may fairly do that nothing so powerfully attracts and draws one thing to itself as likeness does to friendship it will at once be admitted to be true that the good love the good and attach them to themselves as though they were united by blood and nature for nothing can be more eager or rather greedy for what is like itself than nature so my dear fannius and scivola we may look upon this as an established fact that between good men there is as it were of necessity a kindly feeling which is the source of friendship ordained by nature but this same kindliness affects the many also for that is no unsympathetic or selfish or exclusive virtue which protects even whole nations and consults their best interests and that certainly it would not have done had it disdained all affection for the common herd again the believers in the interest theory appear to me to destroy the most attractive link in the chain of friendship for it is not so much what one gets by a friend that gives one pleasure as the warmth of his feeling and we only care for a friend's service if it has been prompted by affection and so far from its being true that lack of means is a motive for seeking friendship it is usually those who being most richly endowed with wealth and means and above all with virtue which after all is a man's best support are least in need of another that are most open-handed and beneficent indeed i am inclined to think that friends ought at times to be in want of something for instance, what scope would my affections have had if Scipio had never wanted my advice or cooperation at home or abroad? It is not friendship, then, that follows material advantage, but material advantage, friendship. 15. We must not, therefore, listen to these superfine gentlemen when they talk of friendship, which they know neither in theory nor in practice for who in heaven's name would choose a life of the greatest wealth and abundance on condition of neither loving or being loved by any creature that is the sort of life tyrants endure they of course can count on no fidelity no affection no security for the good will of any one for them all is suspicion and anxiety for them there is no possibility of friendship who can love one whom he fears or by whom he knows that he is feared yet such men have a show of friendship offered them but it is only a fair-weather show if it ever happens that they fall as it generally does they will at once understand how friendless they are so they say tarquin observed in his exile that he never knew which of his friends were real and which sham until he had ceased to be able to repay either 
though what surprises me is that a man of his proud and overbearing character should have a friend at all and as it was his character that prevented his having genuine friends so it often happens in the case of men of unusually great means their very wealth forbids faithful friendship for not only is fortune blind herself but she generally makes those blind also who enjoy her favours they are carried so to speak beyond themselves with self-conceit and self-will nor can anything be more perfectly intolerable than a successful fool you may often see it men who before had pleasant manners enough undergo a complete change on attaining power of office they despise their old friends devote themselves to new now can anything be more foolish than that men who have all the opportunities which prosperity wealth and great means can bestow should secure all else which money can buy horses servants splendid upholstering and costly plate but do not secure friends who are if i may use the expression the most valuable and beautiful furniture of life and yet when they acquire the former they know not who will enjoy them nor for whom they may be taking all this trouble for they will one and all eventually belong to the strongest while each man has a stable and inalienable ownership in his friendships and even if those possessions which are in a manner the gifts of fortune do prove permanent life can never be anything but joyless which is without the consolations and companionship of friends sixteen to turn to another branch of our subject we must now endeavour to ascertain what limits are to be observed in friendship what is the boundary line so to speak beyond which our affection is not to go on this point i notice three opinions with none of which i agree one is that we should love our friend just as much as we love ourselves and no more another that our affection to them should exactly correspond and equal theirs to us a third that a man should be valued at exactly the same rate as he values himself to not one of these opinions do i assent the first which holds that our regard for ourselves is to be the measure of our regard for our friend is not true for how many things there are which we would never have done for our own sakes but do for the sake of a friend we submit to make requests from unworthy people to descend even to supplication to be sharper in invective more violent in attack such actions are not creditable in our own interests but highly so in those of our friends there are many advantages too which men of upright character voluntarily forego or of which they are content to be deprived that their friends may enjoy them rather than themselves the second doctrine is that which limits friendship to an exact equality in mutual good offices and good feelings but such a view reduces friendship to a question of figures in a spirit far too narrow and illiberal as though the object were to have an exact balance in a debtor and creditor account true friendship appears to me to be something richer and more generous than that comes to and not to be so narrowly on its guard against giving more than it receives in such a matter we must not be always afraid of something being wasted or running over in our measure or of more than is justly due being devoted to our friendship 
but the last limit proposed is the worst namely that a friend's estimate of himself is to be the measure of our estimate of him it often happens that a man has too humble an idea of himself or takes too despairing a view of his chance of bettering his fortune in such a case a friend ought not to take the view of him which he takes of himself rather he should do all he can to raise his drooping spirits and lead him to more cheerful hopes and thoughts we must then find some other limit but i must first mention the sentiment which used to call forth scipio's severest criticism he often said that no one ever gave utterance to anything more diametrically opposed to the spirit of friendship than the author of the dictum you should love your friend with the consciousness that you may one day hate him he could not be induced to believe that it was rightfully attributed to bias who was counted as one of the seven sages it was the sentiment of some person with sinister motives or selfish ambition or who regarded everything as it affected his own supremacy how can a man be friends with another if he thinks it possible that he may be his enemy why it will follow that he must wish and desire his friend to commit as many mistakes as possible that he may have all the more handles against him and conversely that he must be annoyed irritated and jealous at the right actions or good fortune of his friends this maxim then let it be whose it will is the utter destruction of friendship the true rule is to take such care in the selection of our friends as never to enter upon a friendship with a man whom we could under any circumstances come to hate and even if we are unlucky in our choice we must put up with it according to scipio in preference to making calculations as to future breach seventeen the real limit to be observed in friendship is this the characters of two friends must be stainless there must be complete harmony of interest purpose and aims without exception then if the case arises of a friend's wish not strictly right in itself calling for support in a matter involving his life or reputation we must make some concession from the straight path on condition that is to say that extreme disgrace is not the consequence something must be conceded to friendship and yet we must not be entirely careless of our reputation nor regard the good opinion of our fellow-citizens as a weapon which we can afford to despise in conducting the business of our life however lowering it may be to tout for it by flattery and smooth words we must by no means abjure virtue which secures us affection but to return again to scipio the sole author of the discourse on friendship he used to complain that there was nothing on which men bestowed so little pains that every one could tell exactly how many goats or sheep he had but not how many friends and while they took pains in procuring the former they were utterly careless in selecting friends and possessed no particular marks so to speak or tokens by which they might judge of their suitability for friendship now the qualities we ought to look for in making our selection are firmness stability constancy there is a plentiful lack of men so endowed and it is difficult to form a judgment without testing now this testing can only be made during the actual existence of the friendship for friendship so often precedes the formation of a judgment and makes a previous test impossible 
if we are prudent then we shall rein in our impulse to affection as we do chariot horses we make a preliminary trial of horses so we should of friendship and should test our friends characters by a kind of tentative friendship it may often happen that the untrustworthiness of certain men is completely displayed in a small money matter others who are proof against a small sum are detected if it be large but even if some are found who think it mean to prefer money to friendship where shall we look for those who put friendship before office civil or military promotions and political power and who when the choice lies between these things on the one side and the claims of friendship on the other do not give a strong preference to the former it is not in human nature to be indifferent to political power and if the price men have to pay for it is the sacrifice of friendship they think their treason will be thrown into the shade by the magnitude of the reward this is why true friendship is very difficult to find among those who engage in politics and the contest for office where can you find the man to prefer his friend's advancement to his own and to say nothing of that think how grievous and almost intolerable it is to most men to share political disaster you will scarcely find any one who can bring himself to do that and though what ennius says is quite true the hour of need shows the friend indeed yet it is in these two ways that most people betray their untrustworthiness and inconstancy by looking down on friends when they are themselves prosperous or deserting them in their distress a man then who has shown a firm unshaken and unvarying friendship in both these contingencies we must reckon as one of a class the rarest in the world and all but superhuman eighteen now what is the quality to look out for as a warrant for the stability and permanence of friendship it is loyalty nothing that lacks this can be stable we should also in making our selection look out for simplicity a social disposition and a sympathetic nature moved by what moves us these all contribute to maintain loyalty you can never trust a character which is intricate and tortuous nor indeed is it possible for one to be trustworthy and firm who is unsympathetic by nature and unmoved by what affects ourselves we may add that he must neither take pleasure in bringing accusations against us himself nor believe them when they are brought all these contribute to form that constancy which i have been endeavouring to describe and the result is what i started by saying that friendship is only possible between good men now there are two characteristic features in his treatment of his friends that a good which may be regarded as equivalent to a wise man will always display first he will be entirely without any make-believe or pretense of feeling for the open display even of dislike is more becoming to an ingenuous character than a studied concealment of sentiment secondly he will not only reject all accusations brought against his friend by another but he will not be suspicious himself either nor be always thinking that his friend has acted improperly besides this there should be a certain pleasantness in word and manner which adds no little flavour to friendship a gloomy temper and unvarying gravity may be very impressive but friendship should be a little less unbending more indulgent and gracious and more inclined to all kinds of good fellowship and good nature nineteen 
but here arises a question of some little difficulty are there any occasions on which assuming their worthiness we should prefer new to old friends just as we prefer young to aged horses the answer admits of no doubt whatever for there should be no satiety in friendship as there is in other things the older the sweeter as in wines that keep well and the proverb is a true one you must eat many a peck of salt with a man to be thorough friends with him novelty indeed has its advantage which we must not despise there is always hope of fruit as there is in healthy blades of corn but age too must have its proper position and in fact the influence of time and habit is very great to recur to the illustration of the horse which i have just now used every one likes surderis paribus to use the horse to which he has been accustomed rather than one that is untried and new and it is not only in the case of a living thing that this rule holds good but in inanimate things also for we like places where we have lived the longest even though they are mountainous and covered with forest but here is another golden rule in friendship put yourself on a level with your friend for it often happens that there are certain superiorities as for example scipio's and what i may call our set now he never assumed any airs of superiority over philus or rupilius or mummius or over friends of a lower rank still for instance he always showed a preference to his brother quintus maximus because he was his senior who though a man no doubt of eminent character was by no means his equal he used also to wish that all his friends should be the better for his support this is an example we should all follow if any of us have any advantage in personal character intellect or fortune we should be ready to make our friends sharers and partners in it with ourselves for instance if their parents are in humble circumstances if their relations are powerful neither in intellect nor means we should supply their deficiencies and promote their rank and dignity you know the legends of children brought up as servants in ignorance of their parentage and family when they are recognized and discovered to be the sons of gods or kings they still retain their affection for the shepherds whom they have for many years looked upon as their parents much more ought this to be so in the case of real and undoubted parents for the advantages of genius and virtue and in short of every kind of superiority are never realized to their fullest extent until they are bestowed upon our nearest and dearest twenty but the converse must also be observed for in friendship and relationship just as those who possess any superiority must put themselves on an equal footing with those who are less fortunate so these latter must not be annoyed at being surpassed in genius fortune or rank but most people of that sort are forever either grumbling at something or harping on their claims and especially if they consider that they have services of their own to allege involving zeal and friendship and some trouble to themselves people who are always bringing up their services are a nuisance the recipient ought to remember them the performer should never mention them in the case of friends then as the superior are bound to descend so are they bound in a certain sense to raise those below them for there are people who make their friendship disagreeable by imagining themselves undervalued 
this generally happens only to those who think that they deserve to be so and they ought to be shown by deeds as well as by words the groundlessness of their opinion now the measure of your benefits should be in the first place your own power to bestow and in the second place the capacity to bear them on the part of him on whom you are bestowing affection and help for however great your personal prestige may be you cannot raise all your friends to the highest offices of the state for instance scipio was able to make publius rupilius consul but not his brother lucius but granting that you can give any one anything you choose you must have a care that it does not prove to be beyond his powers as a general rule we must wait to make up our mind about friendships till men's characters and years have arrived at their full strength and development people must not for instance regard as fast friends all whom in their youth enthusiasm for hunting or football they liked for having the same tastes by that rule if it were a mere question of time no one would have such claims on our affections as nurses and slave tutors not that they are to be neglected but they stand on a different ground it is only these mature friendships that can be permanent for difference of character leads to difference of aims and the result of such diversity is to estrange friends the sole reason for instance which prevents good men from making friends with bad or bad with good is that the divergence of their characters and aims is the greatest possible another good rule in friendship is this do not let an excessive affection hinder the highest interests of your friends this very often happens i will go again to the region of fable for an instance neoptolemus could never have taken troy if he had been willing to listen to lycomedes who had brought him up and with many tears tried to prevent his going there again it often happens that important business makes it necessary to part from friends the man who tries to balk it because he thinks that he cannot endure the separation is of a weak and effeminate nature and on that very account makes but a poor friend there are of course limits to what you ought to expect from a friend and to what you should allow him to demand of you and these you must take into calculation in every case twenty one again there is such a disaster so to speak as having to break off friendship and sometimes it is one we cannot avoid for at this point the stream of our discourse is leaving the intimacies of the wise and touching on the friendship of ordinary people it will happen at times that an outbreak of vicious conduct affects either a man's friends themselves or strangers yet the discredit falls on the friends in such cases friendship should be allowed to die out gradually by an intermission of intercourse they should as i have been told that cato used to say rather be unstitched than torn in twain unless indeed the injurious conduct be of so violent and outrageous a nature as to make an instant breach and separation the only possible course consistent with honour and rectitude again if a change in character and aim takes place as often happens or if party politics produces an alienation of feeling i am now speaking as i said a short time ago of ordinary friendships not of those of the wise we shall have to be on our guard against appearing to embark upon active enmity while we only mean to resign a friendship 
for there can be nothing more discreditable than to be at open war with a man with whom you have been intimate scipio as you are aware had abandoned his friendship for quintus pompeius on my account and again from differences of opinion in politics he became estranged from my colleague metellus in both cases he acted with dignity and moderation showing that he was offended indeed but without rancour our first object then should be to prevent a breach our second to secure that if it does occur our friendship should seem to have died a natural rather than a violent death next we should take care that friendship is not converted into active hostility from which flow personal quarrels abusive language and angry recriminations these last however provided that they do not pass all reasonable limits of forbearance we ought to put up with and in a compliment to an old friendship allow the party that inflicts the injury not the one that submits to it to be in the wrong generally speaking there is but one way of securing and providing oneself against faults and inconveniences of this sort not to be too hasty in bestowing our affection and not to bestow it at all on unworthy objects now by worthy of friendship i mean those who have in themselves the qualities which attract affection this sort of man is rare and indeed all excellent things are rare and nothing in the world is so hard to find as a thing entirely and completely perfect of its kind but most people not only recognize nothing as good in our life unless it is profitable but look upon friends as so much stock caring most for those by whom they hope to make most profit accordingly they never possess that most beautiful and most spontaneous friendship which must be sought solely for itself without any ulterior object they fail also to learn from their own feelings the nature and the strength of friendship for every one loves himself, not for any reward which such love may bring, but because he is dear to himself independently of anything else. But unless this feeling is transferred to another, what a real friend is will never be revealed, for he is, as it were, a second self. But if we find these two instincts showing themselves in animals, whether of the air or of the sea or the land, whether wild or tame, first a love of self which in fact is born in everything that lives alike and secondly an eagerness to find and attach themselves to other creatures of their own kind and if this natural action is accompanied by desire and by something resembling human love how much more must this be the case in man by the law of his nature for man not only loves himself but seeks another whose spirit he may so blend with his own as almost to make one being of two twenty two but most people unreasonably not to speak of modesty want such a friend as they are unable to be themselves and expect from their friends what they do not themselves give the fair course is first to be good yourself and then to look out for another of like character it is between such that the stability in friendship of which we have been talking can be secured 
when that is to say men who are united by affection learn first of all to rule those passions which enslave others and in the next place to take delight in fair and equitable conduct to bear each other's burdens never to ask each other for anything inconsistent with virtue and rectitude and not only to serve and love but also to respect each other i say respect for if respect is gone friendship has lost its brightest jewel and this shows the mistake of those who imagine that friendship gives a privilege to licentiousness and sin nature has given us friendship as the handmaid of virtue not as a partner in guilt to the end that virtue being powerless when isolated to reach the highest objects might succeed in doing so in union and partnership with another those who enjoy in the present or have enjoyed in the past or are destined to enjoy in the future such a partnership as this must be considered to have secured the most excellent and auspicious combination for reaching nature's highest good this is the partnership i say which combines moral rectitude fame peace of mind serenity all that men think desirable because with them life is happy but without them cannot be so this being our best and highest object we must if we desire to attain it devote ourselves to virtue for without virtue we can obtain neither friendship nor anything else desirable in fact if virtue be neglected those who imagine themselves to possess friends will find out their error as soon as some grave disaster forces them to make trial of them wherefore i must again and again repeat you must satisfy your judgment before engaging your affections not love first and judge afterwards we suffer from carelessness in many of our undertakings in none more than in selecting and cultivating our friends we put the cart before the horse and shut the stable door when the steed is stolen in defiance of the old proverb for having mutually involved ourselves in a long-standing intimacy or by actual obligations all on a sudden some cause of offence arises and we break off our friendships in full career twenty three it is this that makes such carelessness in a matter of supreme importance all the more worthy of blame i say supreme importance because friendship is the one thing about the utility of which everybody with one accord is agreed that is not the case in regard even to virtue itself for many people speak slightingly of virtue as though it were mere puffing and self-glorification nor is it the case with riches many look down on riches being content with a little and taking pleasure in poor fare and dress and as to the political offices for which some have a burning desire how many entertain such a contempt for them as to think nothing in the world more empty and trivial and so on with the rest things desirable in the eyes of some are regarded by very many as worthless but of friendship all think alike to a man whether those have devoted themselves to politics or those who delight in science and philosophy or those who follow a private way of life and care for nothing but their own business or those lastly who have given themselves body and soul to sensuality they all think i say that without friendship life is no life if they want some part of it at any rate to be noble for friendship in one way or another 
penetrates into the lives of us all and suffers no career to be entirely free from its influence though a man be of so churlish and unsociable a nature as to loathe and shun the company of mankind as it were told was the case with a certain timon at athens yet even he cannot refrain from seeking some one in whose hearing he may disgorge the venom of his bitter temper we should see this most clearly if it were possible that some god should carry us away from these haunts of men and place us somewhere in perfect solitude and then should supply us in abundance with everything necessary to our nature and yet take from us entirely the opportunity of looking upon a human being who could steel himself to endure such a life who could not lose in his loneliness the zest for all pleasures and indeed this is the point of the observation of i think archytas of tarentum i have it third-hand men who were my seniors told me that their seniors had told them it was this if a man could ascend to heaven and get a clear view of the natural order of the universe and the beauty of the heavenly bodies that wonderful spectacle would give him small pleasure though nothing could be conceived more delightful if he had but had some one to whom to tell what he had seen so true it is that nature abhors isolation and never leans upon something as a stay and support and this is found in its most pleasing form in our closest friend twenty four but though nature also declares by so many indications what her wish and object and desire is we yet in a manner turn a deaf ear and will not hear her warnings the intercourse between friends is varied and complex and it must often happen that causes of suspicion and offence arise which a wise man will sometimes avoid at other times remove at others treat with indulgence the one possible cause of offence that must be faced is when the interests of your friend and your own sincerity are at stake for instance it often happens that friends need remonstrance and even reproof when these are administered in a kindly spirit they ought to be taken in good part but somehow or other there is truth in what my friend terence says in his andrea compliance gets us friends plain speaking hate plain speaking is a cause of trouble if the result of it is resentment which is poison of friendship but compliance is really the cause of much more trouble because by indulging his faults it lets a friend plunge into headlong ruin but the man who is most to blame is he who resents plain speaking and allows flattery to egg him on to his ruin on this point then from first to last there is need of deliberation and care if we remonstrate it should be without bitterness if we reprove there should be no word of insult in the matter of compliance for i am glad to adopt terence's word though there should be every courtesy yet that base kind which assists a man in vice should be far from us for it is unworthy of a free-born man to say nothing of a friend it is one thing to live with a tyrant another with a friend but if a man's ears are so closed to plain speaking that he cannot hear to hear the truth from a friend we may give him up in despair this remark of cato's as so many of his did shows great acuteness there are people who owe more to bitter enemies than to apparently pleasant friends the former often speak the truth 
the latter never besides it is a strange paradox that the recipient of advice should feel no annoyance where they ought to feel it and yet feel so much where they ought not they are not at all vexed at having committed a fault but very angry at being reproved for it on the contrary they ought to be grieved at the crime and glad of the correction twenty five well then if it is true that to give and receive advice the former with freedom and yet without bitterness the latter with patience and without irritation is peculiarly appropriate to genuine friendship it is no less true that there can be nothing more utterly subversive of friendship than flattery adulation and base compliance i use as many terms as possible to brand this vice of light-minded untrustworthy men whose sole object in speaking is to please without any regard to truth in everything false pretense is bad for it suspends and vitiates our power of discerning the truth but to nothing it is so hostile as to friendship for it destroys that frankness without which friendship is an empty name for the essence of friendship being that two minds become as one how can that ever take place if the mind of each of the separate parties to it is not single and uniform but variable changeable and complex can anything be so pliable so wavering as the mind of a man whose attitude depends not only on another's feeling and wish but on his very looks and nods if one says no i answer no if yes i answer yes in fine i've laid this task upon myself to echo all that's said to quote my old friend terence again but he puts these words into the mouth of anatho to admit such a man into one's intimacy at all is a sign of folly but there are many people like natho and it is when they are superior either in position or fortune or reputation that their flatteries become mischievous the weight of their position making up for the lightness of their character but if we only take reasonable care it is easy to separate and distinguish a genuine from a specious friend as anything else that is coloured and artificial from what is sincere and genuine a public assembly though composed of men of the smallest possible culture nevertheless will see clearly the difference between a mere demagogue that is a flatterer and untrustworthy citizen and a man of principle standing and solidity it was by this kind of flattering language that gaius papirius the other day endeavoured to tickle the ears of the assembled people when proposing his law to make the tribunes re-eligible i spoke against it but i will leave the personal question i prefer speaking of scipio good heavens how impressive his speech was what a majesty there was in it you would have pronounced him without hesitation to be no mere henchman of the roman people but their leader however you were there and moreover have the speech in your hands the result was that a law meant to please the people was by the people's votes rejected once more to refer to myself you remember how apparently popular was the law proposed by gaius licinius crassus about the election to the college of priests in the consulship of quintus maximus scipio's brother and lucius mancinus for the power of filling up their own vacancies on the part of the colleges was by this proposal to be transferred to the people 
it was this man by the way who began the practice of turning towards the forum when addressing the people in spite of this however upon my speaking on the conservative side religion gained an easy victory over his plausible speech this took place in my praetorship five years before i was elected consul which shows that the cause was successfully maintained more by the merits of the case than by the prestige of the highest office twenty six now if on a stage such as a public assembly essentially is where there is the amplest room for fiction and half-truths truth nevertheless prevails if it be but fairly laid open and brought into the light of day what ought to happen in the case of friendship which rests entirely on truthfulness friendship in which unless you both see and show an open breast to use a common expression you can neither trust nor be certain of anything no not even of mutual affection since you cannot be sure of its sincerity however this flattery injurious as it is can hurt no one but the man who takes it in and likes it and it follows that the man to open his ears widest to flatterers is he who first flatters himself and is fondest of himself i grant you that virtue naturally loves herself for she knows herself and perceives how worthy of love she is but i am not now speaking of absolute virtue but of the belief men have that they possess virtue the fact is that fewer people are endowed with virtue than wish to be thought to be so it is such people that take delight in flattery when they are addressed in language expressly adapted to flatter their vanity they look upon such empty persiflage as a testimony to the truth of their own praises it is not then properly friendship at all when the one will not listen to the truth and the other is prepared to lie nor would the servility of parasites in comedy have seemed humorous to us had there been no such things as braggart captains is thais really much obliged to me it would have been quite enough to answer much but he must say immensely your servile flatterer always exaggerates what his victim wishes to be put strongly wherefore though it is with those who catch at and invite it that this flattering falsehood is especially powerful yet men even of solider and steadier character must be warned to be on the watch against being taken in by cunningly disguised flattery an open flatterer any one can detect unless he is an absolute fool the covered insinuation of the cunning and the sly is what we have to be studiously on our guard against his detection is not by any means the easiest thing in the world for he often covers his servility under the guise of contradiction and flatters by pretending to dispute and then at last giving in and allowing himself to be beaten that the person hoodwinked may think himself to have been the clearer sighted now what can be more degrading than to be thus hoodwinked you must be on your guard against this happening to you like the man in the arras how have i been befooled no drivelling dotards on any stage were e'er so played upon for even on the stage we have no grosser representation of folly than that of short-sighted and credulous old men but somehow or other i have strayed away from the friendship of the perfect that is of the wise meaning of course such wisdom as human nature is capable of to the subject of vulgar unsubstantial friendships let us then return to our original theme 
and at length bring that too to a conclusion twenty seven well then fannius and lucius i repeat what i said before it is virtue virtue which both creates and preserves friendship on it depends harmony of interest permanence fidelity when virtue has reared her head and shown the light of her countenance and seen and recognized the same light in another she gravitates towards it and in her turn welcomes that which the other has to show and from it springs up a flame which you may call love or friendship as you please both words are from the same root in latin and love is just the cleaving to him whom you love without the prompting of need or any view to advantage though this latter blossoms spontaneously on friendship little as you may have looked for it it is with such warmth of feeling that i cherished lucius paulus marcus cato gallus gallus publius nasica tiberius gracchus my dear scipio's father-in-law it shines with even greater warmth when men are of the same age as in the case of scipio and lucius furius publius rapilius spurius mummius and myself en revanche in my old age i find comfort in the affection of young men as in the case of yourselves and quintus tuberel nay more i delight in the intimacy of such a very young man as publius rutilius and aulus virginius and since the law of our nature and of our life is that a new generation is forever springing up the most desirable thing is that along with your contemporaries with whom you started in the race you may also teach what is to us the goal but in view of the instability and perishableness of mortal things we should be continually on the lookout for some to love and by whom to be loved for if we lose affection and kindliness from our life we lose all that gives it charm for me indeed though torn away by a sudden stroke scipio still lives and ever will live for it was the virtue of the man that i loved and that has not suffered death and it is not my eyes only because i had all my life a personal experience of it that never lose sight of it it will shine to posterity also with undimmed glory no one will ever cherish a nobler ambition or a loftier hope without thinking his memory and his image the best to put before his eyes i declare that of all the blessings which either fortune or nature has bestowed upon me i know none to compare with scipio's friendship in it i found sympathy in public counsel in private business in it too a means of spending my leisure with unalloyed delight never to the best of my knowledge did i offend him even in the most trivial point never did i hear a word from him i could have wished unsaid we had one house one table one style of living and not only were we together on foreign service but in our tours also and country sojourns why speak of our eagerness to be ever gaining some knowledge to be ever learning something on which we spent all our leisure hours far from the gaze of the world if the recollection and memory of these things had perished with the man i could not possibly have endured the regret for one so closely united with me in life and affection but these things have not perished they are rather fed and strengthened by reflection and memory 
even supposing me to have been entirely bereft of them still my time of life of itself brings me no small consolation for i cannot have much longer now to bear this regret and everything that is brief ought to be endurable however severe this is all i had to say on friendship one piece of advice on parting make up your minds to this virtue without which friendship is impossible is first but next to it and to it alone the greatest of all things is friendship end of treatise one part two